Hi, I'm Azure Ashby, CPA and creator of the Love Then Money Institute. Each week, I will bring you inside the life of a real couple and their relationship with money in order to help you and your partner master your own relationship with money. We can no longer rely on the taboo of money to justify our avoidance. And we can no longer change the topic when things get real. I believe it's time we take our financial future by the reins and take control of the money conversation. And we do that by actually having the conversation. So get ready to listen, relate, and be inspired to achieve your financial dreams together. Because you know what they say, first comes love, then comes money. So let's do this. Man, I am so excited just to be starting in this space and to have someone on this show who has been in the business for over 23 years. Marla Mattinson used to be a doula and through her mathematics and neuroscience background, ended up being pulled into the realm of coaching couples. It's such an amazing, awesome story of hers that you'll have to hear one day. Her clients include Academy Award-winning actors, producers and directors, NBA players and coaches, Grammy Award-winning artists, and millionaire entrepreneurs. She is absolutely fascinating to listen to, and she really understands couples and how to help them. And she is a legend in this business. I'm so excited. And I have been totally fangirling preparing for this interview. And I am so excited to ask her the questions I have, and I'm so excited to share her with you. Also, if you haven't noticed, we're in a similar space. So I wanted to take a moment to talk about that. Obviously, we're at very different stages of our careers in this field. And I am probably one of the few people who absolutely loves and welcomes points of view of those in my same field. And as a CPA, I have always been that same way because it's my firm belief that number one, you have to find the person who is right for you. Number two, there are many different points of view that can resonate with different people. And number three, I don't care who you work with. All I say, and I say this with sincerity, is that I only care that we fix the problem of money being something we don't talk about. I only care that your relationship with money and your partner improves, whether it's with me or someone else taking you through the journey. I will truly be happy either way. And that's just not me blowing smoke. It is the absolute truth. I truly feel that way. And so I am so, so excited to have Marla on today. And it's going to be a long one, but I really want you to listen to the end. Even if you feel like maybe some of the topics don't apply to you, the lessons within each topic are so universal that I am sure you're going to find awesome nuggets in here. You guys, this is a really great episode. So please listen all the way through. Thank you for listening in the first place. I appreciate each and every one of you. And let's get started. You're going to love this. So I just wanted to kind of jump right in with one of my big questions. And I think something that a lot of people need to know the answer to is how to create the space for change. So there are a lot of people out there who are beginning and aren't used to necessarily doing work on themselves. And so how do you create a growth relationship mindset in a marriage that's never like been in that mode? And then along the same vein, learning to receive is something that I kind of wanted to talk about. 
Ah, I love it. We're diving right in. Well, okay. This is so good already. So learning to receive is a huge part of what I teach and what I practice because I think just like you, I'm a giver. I'm a natural giver. And the danger with only being a giver is that you don't know how to receive. So I've had to teach myself how to receive. And of course, being in relationship with another giver has been an incredible way for me to actually learn how to receive even more, which is very uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I actually have a four-step process for receiving. And it's literally four questions. And so I'm just going to share it right this minute with you. So before you have a money conversation with your partner, before you have any kind of a challenging conversation with your accountant or your CPA or you know anyone, a family member, if you go through this and you ask these four questions of yourself, you're going to be in a much more receptive, open place in order to actually receive the information coming in, the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? So how much can you receive in truth? How much truth can you receive about your finances, your relationship, your communication, your sex, your health? How much can you receive, not just the good stuff, but the entirety of the truth? And so when you do this, this process, this four-question process, then you're making space for change, okay? Because you're right away, you're asking yourself these questions that are going to help you to see, oh, I'm not so open to receive. Let me change that. Let me shift that, okay? And so here are the four questions. So question number one is, am I, it's a yes or no question. Am I open to receive? So this is just a blanket binary question. You get one answer or the other. There's no maybe. It's yes or no. Are you open to receive right now? And so if you're not in a good place to receive, you have to be honest with yourself and say, no, I'm not. So I'm not available for a conversation. Hopefully you can shift and get to a yes. Okay, that's the idea. So that's the gate opener. Are you open to receive? Yes. Okay, the gate is open. Now, the second question is, how much can you receive? So from from zero to 100%, What's your number? Keeping in mind, oh, I'm thinking about you know making food for the kids, or I have these twelve things on my to do list today, or you know I'm feeling a little grumpy, or I have a headache, or you know what's your capacity for receiving? So from zero to one hundred, what's your capacity for receiving today, right in this moment? So usually it's not a hundred percent; it's probably eighty, eighty-five, maybe seventy-five, maybe fifty. So you got again be honest with yourself. How open am I to receiving? Meaning all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So no matter what's coming my way, how open am I to letting it in? That's an important question. That's question number two. Question number three, how fast can you allow it in? So let's say I ask myself this question and then I'm getting into a conversation with my partner and he says something ugly. (laughs) Okay. He says something that I don't like receiving. I don't like hearing. How fast can I let it flow through me? How fast can I not let it get stuck on any of my material and just let him have his experience that he's sharing with me, not making him wrong, not making myself wrong, just letting it all in. How fast can I let it flow through me? Same with the good stuff. How fast can I allow the good stuff to flow through me? Because if I get it stuck, like let's say he says something fantastic. He he says something wonderful about me. Okay, well, 
or about the money, right? Well, if it's something that's really good, my ego can want to attach to it and slow it down from just flowing through and then on to the next thing, right? How often do we get stuck on something fabulous or something terrible and our mind starts reeling and you know spiraling down into oblivion? So the idea is let it flow through you quickly. And the fourth question is how easy can you allow it to be? Meaning how much joy and enthusiasm and ease and grace can you allow this to flow through you, what you're receiving, whatever it is you're receiving. Because you can receive, you can be open to receiving, you can be open to receiving a lot, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can have it go through fast, but it can be with a ton of problems and challenges if you don't also claim ease. And so those are the four questions. Are you open to receive, yes or no? How much can you receive right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly, up to 100%? How fast can you allow it to flow through you? And how easy can you allow it to be? So when you ask yourself those four questions, right away, you are poised for having a really magnificent experience of an exchange with your partner, with your CPA, with a, in a sales conversation, with a client, right? With your child, whoever, that you can receive the totality of the truth of whatever is coming at you. What do you think of those four questions? I love them. I I love them, love them. But here's here's what I'm thinking. And I have a couple of people in mind or couples in mind. So I have a follow-up question for that. Is that I'm a self-help junkie. So for me, these are like juicy, yummy questions and I love them. There's a couple of things. So what if you're not a self-help junkie and like this whole thing is completely new for you and or what if you're at a no or a zero at all of those places and your relationship is in a place where it's just not, it's contemptuous right now. Maybe one person's willing to look inward and do some work, but the other person is just not receptive. How do you kind of lovingly wear the other person down into receiving or eventually reciprocating? Or do you use these questions? Is there a different tactic? Like how do you How do you engage in this when this isn't your norm? Beautiful. So yes, I'm obviously a self-help junkie also. I love it, love, love it. If you're a listener right now and you're not into real growth, real self-growth yet, if you're listening, you're probably on your way. I'm just going to say. And let's say you're not quite there yet. You're like, oh, it's a little bit of hooey and whatever. And yet you're in a relationship that is not magnificent, that you're not getting your needs met, that you're feeling the contempt for each other. You have resentment building, right? You want your partner to show up and do something different so that you're happier. Here's what I'm going to say. This is a little bit of a mic drop, you know, a little bomb here. So everybody just get ready. (laughs) Here it is. There's only one person responsible for your happiness, and that's you. So if you're waiting for your partner to bring you happiness, you're waiting for the wrong person. Preach. Bam, right? Bam. I dropped it. I dropped it like it's a hot potato. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Right? Like if you're waiting, and I did this for years, so I know I'm a master of waiting because I know I I waited for years for people to show up for me in the way that I wanted. And then I realized, oh. I need to be the one to show up for myself. I am responsible for my happiness. 
I'm responsible for my own turn on. I'm responsible for my own orgasm. I'm responsible for my business. I'm responsible for me and the health of my mind, my body, my spirit. And so if you get one thing from this episode, I hope that you get that if you claim responsibility for your own yes, your own happiness, then you're powerful. You are already empowered. You don't have to wait for anybody else to do it. So let's just say if you're with a partner who is not as enthusiastic about self-help as you are, well, you cannot change them. Here's what you can do though. You could focus on yourself and become magnificent and inspire them by your actions, not by preaching to them and telling them what they should do or should not do. That's the fastest way to build resentment in a relationship is tell your partner what they should do when you're not doing it yourself. How about that, right? That's called being a hypocrite, isn't yes. it? Mm-hmm. Right? And yet I've done it. <laughs> I think we all I've have. done it. Yeah. Right? Because it's so much easier to see what's going on in somebody else than it is to see what's going on in you. And so, you know, my business love and life partner, Julian, he and I have a pre-arranged agreement that if he notices something in me that's off or not working, that's not in alignment with what I have already said that I want my life to be about, for example, he has permission to tell me to share that with me. Now, if he didn't have, if we didn't have that agreement already in place, then it would feel like preaching in a negative way to me. And I would reject it. I'll just be straight up honest. Like if somebody tries to give me advice that I have not already asked for, the answer is no, I'm not interested in hearing that advice. Now I have, you know, other ways of receiving that advice and letting it in anyway. And I'm just going to say that if you're in a relationship where your partner's not showing up in an amazing way, how about you just check yourself first? What can you do for you that would make you feel amazing? And then ask yourself, what do I really want to receive? And then guess what? Give that to your partner instead. Give to your partner the way you would like to receive. And sometimes that works amazingly. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears and you just keep trying because if you keep trying and you keep trying new things and your partner at some point will recognize that you are making an effort. And if they don't, maybe it's time to talk about a little more serious counseling, right? Get into therapy together, get into some sort of coaching with your partner so that you can you know, work through these issues together. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. So I think I want to shift a little bit on, and I, I get really excited about ways to enhance communication and intimacy in a relationship. And it's something that I'm really working on coming up with a fun idea of how to help couples do that. And so I kind of wanted to go into that discussion a little bit and also talk about something that I I personally struggle with the conversation of gender roles because I'm progressive. So those people who are listening who don't know me, they will know now. But for me, it's it's hard to talk about gender roles sometimes in like what I feel is a politically correct way, but it's something that's very real. Societally it's very real and evolutionarily it's very real and marriage traditionally until relatively recently in our human existence provided a certain role, right? Or a certain 
there was the provider and there was the caretaker and and that kind of thing. And so we're definitely evolving in that sense. But I think a lot of what is happening now in a lot of conflict lies around traditional gender roles, who's the breadwinner and what that does to their sex life. So, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. We're going all in today. Okay. I love this. First of all, gender roles is one of my favorite topics. Okay. So I don't believe in gender roles. I believe in a gender spectrum. And as each individual, we all, every single human has the full gender spectrum inside of themselves. So I have from all the way from the binary feminine through the spectrum to the binary masculine, I have every single part of that spectrum inside of me. And I have access to that entire spectrum. I can totally act like a hardcore, masculine, energetic in the world. I can also act like a completely feminine, embodied experience through my life. From moment to moment in the day, we, can con- we don't realize this, but we can consciously choose where on the gender spectrum do you want to be coming from. Like, for example, we talk about this quite a bit in, in our work my, with Julian, my partner, and I. And so let's just say in the business, I often will take on more of a masculine role of being assertive and sometimes aggressive, being a little more on the controlling side, you know, really holding structure for the business because it's necessary. And when we're working with clients, we need to hold the masculine structure space for the client, right? And for the client experience. And therefore, it's very appropriate to bring that in. Then we also infuse the feminine energy, which is really being the magnetic energetic, right? Being the the part in the business that is calling in to what we want, right? That's the visioning and the dreaming and the, the expansiveness, right? And then when we're working with clients, holding space of massive compassion and understanding. So we're pulling from that all the time. And then in the relationship... So, you know, you take your business hat off and you put your relationship hat on. And in the relationship, I'm always going to skew more into the feminine role because in the relationship, I don't want to be the alpha. I don't want to be the one guiding and leading and charging forth. I want to be the one resting in surrender into my partner. And at times he rests in surrender to me. And in terms of money, I'm more of the financial earner officially in the business, even though we own the business together, I'm the one, I love sales. And so therefore I do most of the sales. (laughs) And so that's, that's just the way it goes. And so we have completely blown up the idea of gender roles. We don't, we don't deal with it at all because we believe in the spectrum instead. And so we understand this is, this is not a normal, natural thing for most couples. And it's a very contentious thing especially when a woman starts to out earn her partner, even if her partner is a woman. (laughs) So it's fascinating, you know, in a same-sex marriage or a same-sex partnership with two women, one one person is always going to take on a little bit more of the masculine role and one person is going to take on slightly more of the feminine role. And the idea is if you're in business together, that you 
have an agreement that in the business, here's how I'm going to show up and here's how you're going to show up. So, so in our business, I'm the alpha in the business and Julian is what we call the power beta, which means he's in his power. He's not in any weakness. He's in his power showing up to support me and the business. And then in the relationship, it's the exact opposite. He's the alpha and I'm the power beta. So beautiful. This is such a beautiful way to talk about this because I agree with you. This is the, this is, this is great. I'm so happy we're going here because how do you do that dance? Right. So I think this is something that you have to have the conversation about. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't actually do or take the time, or maybe they feel, I don't know what they feel, maybe embarrassed or something like that. But I think it's something you really have to to have the conversation about so that you can do that dance. Because I think a lot of times what happens is it's this silent struggle and then that turns into resentment. And then, or there's a lot of women who feel that they have to exude that masculine energy at work. And then when they come home, they don't make that conscious decision to take off that hat. And so, you know, it doesn't only affect their relationship, it affects you know, their sex life, it affects so many different aspects of how the relationship works. So I'm so glad we're going here because I think, is that how you do the dance? Is just simply having the conversation or is it a little bit more complex than that? So definitely having the conversation is one piece. And I know that the listeners, this is only on audio. However, you get to see the video right now. So I have this rose quartz crystal and it reminds me to activate my feminine in relationship. And so I have this as a marker to, as a physical representation of let's remind ourselves, love is all there is. All feedback is love, even when it's something negative. Why? All humans just want to be happy. We just want to be happy and experience joy and pleasure. That's really kind of what we're here for is to experience pleasure and to do it together and uplift each other and grow and elevate so that we can become a more conscious society. And so the way to do that is through conscious awareness and becoming more and more aware of yourself, your inner world, how you're impacting others and your environment. And so having things like flowers and rose quartz crystals and other crystals around. That's for me. I'm super woo-woo like that. I really enjoy having things that remind me to soften because I can get really serious and I can get super logistical and like, hey, let's just handle X, Y, and Z, you know, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for my partner to show up to be there for me. And so if I always have everything handled, how can he, there's no opening. How can he give to me if there's no opening, right? And so, and then when you're talking about, you know, women who make more than their partners, one of my friends, Farnoosh Tarabi, I don't know if you know her, but she has a podcast called So Money and she's the financial advisor for O Magazine for Oprah. And she has a book called When She Makes More. And it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. And it is because she makes more than her husband. And we've talked about this quite a bit because this is something I deal with in, in our business quite often is working with couples where the woman is making more than the, than the partner. And so understanding that having a conversation is not enough. It's a continued effort where it's checking in, you know, how can we bring our best selves to this relationship regardless of the roles that society puts us in? 
you know, and this has to do with having a very aware conversation with your partner. And if they're not willing to have this conversation, then go have this conversation with a therapist or a coach or someone else or a girlfriend who's also going through this or a guy friend who's going through this, you know, because traditional gender roles were there for a purpose and they're not needed anymore. And yet it's still, it's kind of like if you look in your closet and you are looking at your clothes and you're like, oh, I never wear this anymore, right? This piece right here I've had for 10 years and I never wear it. Guess what? Get rid of it. Give it away. Give it to somebody else, right? Take it to the goodwill or something. Because we keep these old things around that are no longer serving us and they're just taking up space. So it's the same thing, the clutter in our mind of, you know, oh yeah, that's right. We don't believe in gender roles anymore. And yet sometimes they serve. They serve in playful ways. Like I do enjoy when Julian opens the door for me. I do enjoy. And so I give him positive feedback about that. Every time he opens a car door for me, I will say to him, I feel so special when you do that. Thank you. I really love when you open the door for me. So it's not even about a gender role thing. It's just about preference. It's about my preference as a, as a human. I love when someone opens the door for me, even if it's a woman, I don't care. And I also open the door for other people. So, you know, it doesn't have to be one way where society has told us it has to be this way. No, it doesn't. You get to make up your own rules. That's one of the things I love about relationships. Absolutely. And there's so many ways I want to go with this, but I think part of the clutter in our minds too sometimes is the stories that we tell ourselves about our partner. And especially if we're in a place that's not the greatest. And one of the things that Alison Armstrong says, she says it about men, but in my head, it's, it's really that can apply to men and women is what if there's a good reason that they're doing what they're doing, right? And so I think a lot of times we make up the reason ourselves. And instead of if there's conflict, asking what the reason is, and then also being open to receiving and being appreciative when your partner actually makes an attempt to give you something, right? And so you expressing gratitude for opening the door is such a beautiful way to show that it's something that means something to you, makes you feel good and is important. And so I think it's, it's some of both, right? Is allowing yourself to receive, but also clearing that clutter of your, in your mind of any narratives that you're creating yourself. Oh yes. This is part of self-development, right? So the idea here is that we give our partners the benefit of the doubt. We assume, first of all, if you're going to make an assumption, make it a good one. Assume the best. Assume that your partner would never intentionally hurt or harm you. And if you, if I asked you the question, would your partner ever intentionally hurt or harm you? And if you have to pause to answer that question, get out of that relationship. That's a blanket statement. If you can't answer that question with a clear, I know like on a core level, I know my partner would never intentionally hurt or harm me right? If you can't answer, of course, I know that's not the case, you know, then it's time to leave that relationship because it's abusive. If you know for a fact, I know on a core level, my partner would never intentionally hurt or harm me. Unintentionally, yes. Unintentionally, my partner is just trying to get their needs met and therefore 
you know, sometimes I get hurt in the process. That's not a problem. That's life. That's partnership with someone other than you. Okay. And so that's not an issue. So once we have the benefit of the doubt as our foundation, where I'm going to give my partner the benefit of the doubt, then I'm going to become aware of the stories I'm telling myself about my partner. And I'm going to break those stories down to realize that they're all lies until I actually ask. I'm wasting my time, my focus, my attention, my energy by thinking about what I think my partner is thinking. (laughs) It's a little meta, but you know, I'm wasting my time, attention, and focus where I could be doing something fantastic for myself or my partner or somebody else or my business, or just relaxing. I'm wasting all of that energy on creating negative storylines, which reinforces the problems in your relationship. So instead, the idea is once I realize, oops, I'm telling a story about my partner, I don't even know what's true. What if I imagine a positive story instead? Like, for example, this is a story from a long, long time ago. I had a client who she was dating. It was the beginning of a dating experience for her. And she really, really liked this guy. And they had a a date set where he was going to come over and they were going to go for a hike and then for dinner. And it was set for five o'clock to get together for hiking. And then dinner after that, five o'clock comes around. No, he doesn't show up at the door. Five thirty, six o'clock. She sends a text. She sends, she calls, she leaves a voicemail. Hey, are you okay? I know we had a time. Hope everything's okay. She's flipping out. Like maybe he doesn't like me as much as I thought. Maybe he's whatever. I'm getting hungry now. Like seven o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock comes around. She finally says, screw it. I'm going to go to, you know, I'm going to go down the street and get something to eat. And that's what's going to happen. As she starts to walk out the door, the phone rings and it's him. Hey, so sorry. I fell asleep and my, I left my phone in my car. So, you know, I'm ready to get together. Obviously won't go for a hike, but let's go to dinner. And she was like, I'm not happy right now. Like you can't just suddenly now say like, let's do this. And so the idea was that she was telling herself all these negative stories about him and about herself. And instead she didn't understand, she didn't even know the truth. And so she actually reached out to me. And so I helped her turn like right around 7.45, she finally reached out to me and I said, hey, let's do this. Let's come up with three great scenarios of why he hasn't called. And she's like, oh yeah, well, he's in the middle of looking for a job. And so maybe he got a job interview. Maybe it went long. You know, she went off on on three great scenarios. And then she pivoted and was like, screw it. I'm going to go do my, my evening now. You know, it was like a, it was a Friday night. And so right then, then he came around and he called. Turned out he did really love her and he did really want to be with her. And it really was a scenario where he did fall asleep and he did, it wasn't, a, it wasn't like a big lie. And so she learned how to turn that around in her mind that, oh, maybe if I'm going to make up a story, if I make up a good one, then I'll get to hear what the real truth is at some point. And I don't have to waste my time beating myself up or wondering what's going on. I can just move on and not spend my time there. So assuming the best in your current partner, in your clients, in your business, everywhere, and then be willing to hear the truth. 
Yes. Right. Exactly. I love that. And I think too, and this is like a weird segue, but I, I'm okay with that. I think too, just sometimes just sex helps things, right? So sometimes it's just that there's some tension and some sexual tension and maybe it's been a while or you haven't made time for it. And so one thing that I heard you say once that I absolutely love, so we have to talk about it, three minute lovemaking session. And under the premise of like, everybody has three minutes and it is something that kind of leaves you wanting more. So I kind of wanted to talk about that and the benefits of that and just hear what it does for your relationship. Oh yeah. So when you're in a relationship and you're, let's just say if you're in a monogamous relationship or you're in a relationship where sex is on the table, okay, (laughs) where you are ready to go and you don't feel passionate towards your partner, you don't feel your own turn on, you know that you haven't had sex in a while and you're like, this is getting, this is turning into a problem. Like we're not, we're not focusing on sex. We're focusing on all the problems like you said. So we have a technique, it's called the three minute sesh. And the three minute sesh is our belief is everyone has three minutes, right? And so we use a timer. We're big into timers. And the idea is that you, no matter what state of mind you're in, you choose to get in the sexy mood. And because, oh my gosh, how much resistance can you have when you're like, oh, I don't want to get in the mood, you know, like screw it, get in the mood, like on the spot. What if you could just enjoy your partner? You know, it's only three minutes, so you don't have to be like, oh, how long is it going to last, right? You can really bring it for three minutes and you don't start the clock until everyone is actually ready. So whether you need lube or you need to get hard or you need, you know, whatever the thing is that you need to get done, you know, you need to get the bed in the right thing or the chair or the table, whatever, wherever you're doing this thing, right? Get it set up first, get the timer ready, put three minutes on the timer and everybody's kind of ready and lubed up to go. And then you start your timer and have fun, like laugh, play, enjoy each other, be silly, be intense, like just go hog wild for three minutes. And what it does, and it's not about orgasm. It's not about climaxing. It's not about an end result. It's just a taste. It's just to get the juices flowing so that you can remember what sex feels like, so that you can remember that you do love this person. You can play with this person. Look at each other in the eyes for three minutes while you're making love, while you're having sex. Like That is a real practice where you remember, oh my God, I'm with a human and this person loves me and i love this person and no matter what our problems are right now our finances you know the whatever the issues are you have in your in your relationship at the moment just put it all aside and just enjoy each other and you know do some flashback in your mind to a time where you felt really sexy and just bring it in put some music on so your thoughts can drown out you know like really just enjoy those 3 minutes and when that timer goes off whether someone has an orgasm or not, you stop, you pause, and you just thank each other. You clean up a little bit and you go about the rest of your day. And then you feel the tingle. You feel that like, ooh, I still feel you, you know? And, the, and then you build the sexy into your day. So it's really fantastic technique. We use it all the time. It is, it's an important thing that if you start doing the three-minute sesh, 
you're going to find that at least once a week, maybe even twice a week, you're going to want to do, you're going to want to have a longer lovemaking session. And, and the idea is that you don't use it as the only thing you're doing because that will become an obligation. It'll become kind of weird. You want to use it as a supplement. So, and you want to use it as a Kickstarter also. I love that. And I, I think too, something that I would want to talk about is when it's cool, like, do you, do you do it on a set schedule? When is it cool and not cool to kind of be like, Hey, let's have a three minute sesh. Right. So after you have a really big argument or someone's like really pissed off, is it good or bad? Or like, when is it appropriate to implement that for the day? That is a great question. So, you know, this is very personal for each individual couple. Um, some people have trauma around arguments and fights and it's unhealthy for them to just go right into sex after that. Okay. So I just want to be really mindful here that if you have some trauma or history of abuse in your background, you know, it's not always great to have an argument and then go right for sex that creates an unhealthy dynamic that it's like, you have to soothe yourself through that process. So that's the only caveat I would say here. Now, if you don't have those issues, then it's good anytime. So here's this is kind of a fun thing. If you can get really playful with it and you have a conversation in advance with your partner, like, hey, I heard about this crazy idea of a three-minute lovemaking session. Are you down for that? It's using a timer. It's, it's having you know more fun and playfulness. Can we do it any time. Is there any time that you would feel like you wouldn't want to do that? And you have a conversation with it, with your partner first. And then, you know, cause I could say, yeah, like if I just get into bed and I'm really like on my way to night, night land. And if you come at me with a three minute sesh, I'll be like, Oh really? Are you serious right now? Like I'm super cozy. I got my like cozy socks on. And if you really want that, okay, I'm going to rally for it, but that better not be like an everyday occurrence. Okay. <laughs> right. So, but any other time through the day, I'm good. So that's my only kind of boundary around that. What's yours. Right. So having that conversation in advance is incredibly helpful. You come up with an agreement together and then get playful with it. Like, Hey, I know. And we're big fans of sharing calendars online. And so that you can see, Ooh, I see you have a, a 30 minute break here in your calendar today at 1115. Can we do a three minute sesh? Can we plan for that? Winky, you know, send them the eggplant, you know, um, emoji, <laughs> <laughs> or send the little like tongue or something, you know, like get playful with it. And then you, and then here's the cool thing about it. If you pre-plan your three minute sesh, you can start going, okay, in an hour, I'm going to need to get in the mood, right? So I'm going to spend like a little tiny bit of my attention and my energy on building a little sexy into my next hour for myself so I can increase my turn on. So when I see my partner for that three minute set, we're both like more engaged and ready to go. So there's a little bit of work on your end you know, to bring yourself to the session, because in your mind, if you're thinking to yourself, "Ugh, I really don't want to do this. One quick way to shift that is to say to yourself internally, yes, yes, yes. That's all you have to say. Keep saying it. Yes. Then you can say it out loud too. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, right? And you can just keep going with the internal and external yes. And instead of your mind chatter of like, ugh, I don't want to do this or you know, when is this over? It's over in two and a half minutes, two minutes, you know, instead of the countdown, you're just in the yes. When we're in a yes for our partner, they can be happier because they're not feeling that energetic negativity coming from you of judgment. And when you start practicing that, see, you did it. I did. (laughs) Yes. 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 Yes is so much better. And I don't know if you know the Yoko Ono story with John Lennon, he went to her art exhibit and I might, I might, you know, not say this hundred percent accurately. So just take it in, in, you know, however you want to take it, but he went to what her art showing and she had this amazing space and there was a ladder. One of her parts of the exhibit was she had a ladder. You had to climb up and you had to look through this little peephole and, and it had a magnifying glass and on the ceiling was this tiny little note and it said, yes. And that's when he fell in love with her right then. Cause it's like, I'm going to climb up here. I'm going to, Oh, this is curious. It's an exploration. I'm excited. What am I going to find? Right. And it was a yes. And he found a yes. So like when we can have a yes for ourselves, a yes for our money, a yes for doing our taxes on time, a yes for doing things in advance and pre-planning a three minute sesh, like, Oh my gosh, life just gets so much better. Oh, I love it. Yay. I love this so much. This is so great. (laughs) So I hate to switch gears out of this, but since this is love than money, I want to start talking about money a little bit. So one of the things that I am trying to shift, and again, you know, part of what I want to do is just bust through the taboo of money and just get rid of that, start talking about it. I've made an effort to just start talking about my money relationship and my money situation with everybody, just so that you know, like we can stop feeling so uncomfortable about it. And another thing that I see and I hear a lot of is somehow societally, we've kind of shifted towards, you know, the desire to make money is wrong in some way or don't do it for the money, which I I kind of get. But also realistically, we all need money to survive. I mean, it just is, it is life. And so you know, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and how we can overcome the societal negativity around money. It's an important question. It's really an important question. So if anyone wants to be building wealth, meaning having money in the bank for pleasure, for retirement, for kids, you know, going to college, for travel, right? for building a business, for buying clothes and necessities, right? If you want to build any kind of wealth, basic wealth or large wealth, we have to, you know, really be aware of the societal pressure to believe in the negativity of wealth. We have to become aware of that. You have you want to choose to see the truth of how money and wealth is painted in our society. And it's pretty much painted as a horrible negative thing that people turn into crazy assholes and people turn into like money grubbing, money hungry, you know, political figures who just want to squash the little guy and and be gluttonous and you know, keep everything for themselves and not be generous. 
Meanwhile, there's also a societal picture painted of all of the martyrs, you know, all of the people who just selflessly give in service without receiving anything in return, except for feeling great about how much they're giving, right? And so these polarized views of service and money are both false, okay? Because first of all, if you're giving and not receiving, right? This comes back to the beginning of this podcast. If you're just giving and you're not receiving, you're actually not a giver. It's a form of control. You're not really a giver if you're not receiving. And here's something that blew my mind last night. Okay. So I was on a show last night and the host was talking about how, how he learned about the breath. So which one would you rather do? Would you rather inhale or would you rather only be able to exhale? Would you rather only be able to inhale or would you rather only be able to exhale? And it's a trick question because the answer is ridiculous. You have to do both. Why would you only choose to inhale? Why would you only choose to exhale? You cannot if you want to be a breathing person on earth. So the idea is you can't just give without receiving not if you want to be healthy. So the idea here again is I want to learn how to give and receive. And if I'm giving a service, I need to receive something in return. And the investment, financial investment that, that people bring themselves to in order to work with me personally, that is the exchange. It's an exchange. Inhale, exhale. You get my expertise, my laser focus, my attention on your issues that we resolve together and then you don't need to see anybody after that. And in exchange, you invest financially in yourself and that goes into my business account. That's how it works, right? And then guess what? I spend money on all kinds of things to keep it circulating. There's always more coming in, there's always more going out. More coming in, more going out. It's a circulation. It's literally a breathing in and an exhaling out. It's both. And so one idea is, can you learn to love money? Can you learn to love it? Because, and here's our belief system. Our belief system is that everything is love and everything is God. And when I say God, I don't mean God, the white dude with the beard in the sky and a cloud, right? I'm talking about source. I'm talking about the universal pulse, talking about God and however you need to see God. God is everywhere and every, in everything. And money is part of that. It's not exclusionary. Money is, and I can see that this is obviously resonating for you, you believe this, that money is part of the whole. It's not to be excluded. There is nothing is excluded from God, nothing. No person, no thing, no experience, nothing is excluded. Therefore, money is God. Money is part of it. Money is just a thing that exchanges value. That's all. It's just a tool. So if we want certain things, and if we're really honest with ourselves with our true desires, like I would like to take a vacation every once in a while. I would like to be able to send my kids to wherever they want to go to school and not have to worry about loans. Like I'd like to be able to you know, invest in, in this stock market or whatever. Well, that takes money. 
And if I'm busy hating money, how am I supposed to grow it? Right. And then the other issue is understanding that our society mostly values hard work. We don't value grace and ease and joy in wealth building. And so that's the next piece is like, what if you don't have to work hard for your money? You know, now I just think of that song, work hard for the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you should <laughs> cut that piece out. <laughs> right? But <laughs> I'm clearly not a singer. I'll keep my day job. <laughs> but the hard work, that's a choice because you can do all of this with grace and ease and joy and enthusiasm for life instead of hard work, you know, which is not to say you don't need to actually work and show up. It's you can work and enjoy it at the same time. Yeah. That's something that I love about you is that, and I read, so I, I'm in love with like France and Paris and stuff. So I think we have that in common, but I think part of what I, I read or heard, or I don't even know when I was preparing is that, and I have the same philosophy on it is that we have to live life in the meantime. Right. And so, so many people get stuck on planning for the future or, I mean, those, those who actually do plan for the future, but sometimes we get so stuck in trying to make the decisions that, you know, we're going to enjoy it later, or we're doing these hard things now that we don't actually take the time to enjoy it. And, you know, one of the lessons I learned relatively early, thankfully, and unfortunately, because it, it had to do with my, my very good friend's parents, both of them died of cancer within a year of each other. They had been planning and saving for retirement their entire life. They basically, you know, focused only on the kids and figured when they retire, they'll enjoy, they'll, you know, they saved. And then they unfortunately never got to experience and enjoy all of that hard work and savings that they did. And so to me, it's so important to have balance and so important to do both. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to talk about the balance thing. So now I'm an entrepreneur. And so in the audience, if you're a listener and you're an entrepreneur, you will understand this. If you're not an entrepreneur and you're an employee, I want you to open your mind to this idea. Okay. So I don't believe in balance. I believe in integration. Okay. So balance to me means that you're balancing you know, work-life balance, health, and being more aggressive with something out in your life, whatever, staying up too late or, you know, balancing is like, there's literally one balance point. Like, you know, my background is in mathematics and neuroscience. So I, I get a little technical about this, but there's a one balance point really. And that feels anxiety producing for me. So we believe in integration integrating everything in your life so that you have full access. Like we were talking about the gender spectrum earlier. I have full access to the gender spectrum. I don't have to just choose masculine or feminine, right? There's so much more available in between. And that's where all the juicy good stuff is. Like talk to anybody who's on the gender spectrum in terms of their expression in life. 
the most creative, I'm going to make a bold statement, but I think the, some of the most creative people in the world are in the middle of the gender spectrum. They're not at the ends of the gender spectrum, right? Like, so the idea of integration of, I have access to the full integration. I don't have to be perfect in one point. So integrating the work-life balance as an entrepreneur, work-life balance does not happen, right? If you have a contract that needs to be put together and sent out like, and it's 10 o'clock at night, you're going to do it. So the, the integration is, Hey babe, I've got one more thing to do before I can, you know, come up for the three minute sesh. Right. (laughs) So can you send me some good vibes while I'm doing it? Now I'm integrating, I'm integrating relationship time because nobody should be working at 10 o'clock unless you're Gary V. Right. If you have a thing and you're an entrepreneur, you got to get it done. Also, if you're a parent, right? And your kid gets sick at 11 o'clock at night. Well, it's not that time for me to take care of you. What are you talking about? You're going to take care of your kid. It's integration. It's not balance. So I get a little hot-headed about that, but I think you understand. No, that's totally fair. And I totally, yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. Yes. So what is, if you had to teach, if you had to tell a parent one thing to teach their kids about money, what, what would you, what would you say that is? Oh, that's good. There's there's always more available. There's always more. There's more than enough for everyone on the planet. Money. There's more than enough for every human on the planet. And it's yours to claim. If you want it, you can claim it. You have to have some sort of a service or product to do in exchange until you get to a point where you can invest and then your money can make money right? And, and you can invest in property or you can invest in the stock market or you can invest in other companies. And you know, people who are incredibly wealthy are always going to have multiple streams of income. It's going to be seven or more streams of income coming in. So you know, we like to say we make money outside of our business, right? Most of our money comes from outside of our business. And we have money obviously coming in from inside the business too. But if I was going to teach one thing to a parent to teach to their child, I'd, I'd say teach abundance, teach the truth about money. The truth about money is it's not limited. We don't go by the gold standard in the US anymore. There is no gold in Fort Knox where the money is backed by an actual physical something being held in a location. That's not true anymore. And everything is changing around money. Bitcoin and the whole cryptocurrency expand your definition of money and wealth and what it actually means. And wealth actually really means creating whatever you want when you want it. Being able to bring in any amount of money or resources whenever you need it or want it. That's real wealth. So let's say you have an idea for a business. You don't have to have the money yourself. You have to onboard people who are in alignment with your vision, who see the vision, who have clarity around the vision, who have other things in place that they're masterful at, like accounting services, like grant writing, like, you know, all kinds of pieces that you're not masterful at. And then you onboard those people to help you with your vision. And then you get financing, right? You get investors or you get a bank or you get other people and, and corporations who are on board with your vision. So you can have anything you want in terms of finances. You just have to believe that it's possible and then open your eyes to the new possibilities. I love that. I think a lot of adults need that lesson as well. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, how can you teach your kid if you're not practicing it yourself? Absolutely. Yes. You know, kids are pretty smart. Yep. Work to be done. But I love that answer. It's great. So that's a good transition into entrepreneurship. So I have a couple of questions in that area. The first question is, what if one person is ready to make the leap into entrepreneurship and the other person is afraid, doesn't want to, doesn't believe in it, whatever it is, has a reservation. How do you navigate that? If I, mean, I guess, how do you navigate that on either side? That's a big question. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> big question because there's a lot of iterations of that. Okay. Let's talk about one person wants to take the leap into being an entrepreneur and the other person is an employee with a job that's bringing in an income. Okay. Let's talk about that scenario. So as long as your partner is okay with you exploring and taking a risk to start a business, because you know most businesses fail in the first five years. So it is a risk and you have to have a certain spirit, an entrepreneur spirit really, and an entrepreneur mindset to be able to really navigate through the challenging waters of starting your own business. So the idea is that the person that's the employee will support the entrepreneur financially, emotionally, and, and have a lot of compassion for them. Okay. That's the best case scenario. Now, a lot of couples deal with a partner who has their arms folded, you know, and is like, yeah, well, prove it. Okay. You have three months to make it work. Well, that's not enough time. You need at least a year. So you want to plan in advance. We're again, big fans of planning in advance. Plan in advance. What do you plan to do as the entrepreneur? How do you intend to bring in income? When are you going to be profitable? Like really have your business plan laid out so that your partner understands just as much as you do what the process is. And I would say, number one, hire a mentor. Hire someone who has done the business that you want to do. So you could hire a coach. There are some coaches who can help coach any business for an entrepreneur. I'm a huge fan of hiring someone who has done the exact type of business that you're doing, where you are apprenticing with them for a while, or you actually hire them for a fee, where you're learning the ins and outs of the business that you're trying to start. So that's a big win in my, in my eyes, right? So you have to understand the first year of a brick and mortar business, you need assets, right? You need to have at least the first year upfront financially to just have a little wiggle room so you're not stressed out. Because if you're super stressed about the finances in your business when you're first starting, you're going to ruin your relationship because you're going to be so stressed out and you're going to be the worst version of yourself at home because you're trying to put the best version of yourself forward in your business. So you want to set yourself up for success to have that conversation with your partner like, okay, we need to have funds where I have wiggle room, where I can be in the red for the first six months, the first year, first year and a half, and then we turn a profit. Like, When are we expecting to turn a profit? always consider taxes. You have to consider when you're starting your business, let's say when you're starting, you're starting a coaching business and you want to set your rates at a certain level. You have to consider taxes first and all of your expenses. So let's say you want to charge $1,000 or something. Well, 30% of that better go into taxes. 10% needs to go into a wealth fund, which is an asset only fund. 
And then 20% goes back into the business and then you have to pay yourself, right? So you have to pay yourself out of that as well. So really your profit from that is maybe five or 10%. And you have to understand that you're not going to be turning a profit in the very beginning. And so you have to build that into your prices. So if a thousand dollars is what you're going to be charging for your services, maybe make it 1500 or 2000 or 3000 so that you're giving yourself a little wiggle room. Don't just make up numbers. Talk to a specialist, talk to an accountant or a CPA who's helped coaches, who's helped people start businesses and get those numbers set first so that you're not just flying by the seat of your pants and then waking up you know, a year later going, how did I run a business that I'm paying to run the business, right? Because I've seen a lot of people do that and then they have to change their pricing structure. So that's the first case scenario. That's the best case scenario where you have a partner who's enthusiastic. If you have a partner who's not enthusiastic, who's very nervous, then what you want to do is you want to have a weekly meeting with them where you have a 15-minute check-in. This is if you have shared finances. If you have shared finances and you are responsible together for your finances, you need to have a weekly 15-minute update meeting with your partner to say, hey, very unemotional. Just say, here are the numbers. Here's what's come in. Here's what's gone out. Here are the resources. Here's what we need. We like to do a fun one is like rosebud thorn in the meeting. Rose is a celebration. What's gone well? Bud, what are you working on? Thorn, what's getting in the way of following through with what you're working on, right? So rosebud thorn is a great 15-minute meeting check-in. And, and that is really helpful for couples. Now, if you don't have shared finance, so you can see all the iterations. You can see how my brain works, right? <laughs> I love one, it. Case two, case three, right? So <laughs> the next case is, let's say you have a partner who's not enthusiastic about what you're doing and you don't have shared finances. This is another actual best case scenario, funny enough, because this is about you setting boundaries around your business to say, I'm not talking to you about my business. You're not supportive of it. So I just want to do this on my own. And let's just come together for relationship stuff. I don't want to talk about the business until I'm doing fantastic. When I'm doing fantastic, then hopefully you'll get on board. If not, it might be a problem at some point. But right now, let's just... Your finances are yours. Mine are mine. You do you. I'll do me. I love you. Let's just come together in the areas in the Venn diagram that overlap that are fabulous, that we enjoy, like sex, like fun, like dinners out, like walking on the beach, like taking a vacation. And we'll just run it like that. And you keep your business to yourself. You do not ask for advice from your partner. You do not cry about your business to your partner. You do not ask for anything from your partner. If they're not helpful or enthusiastic about your business, why would you go to them for support? It's not going to be a healthy situation. Also, if you cry about your business, and I say that kind of flippantly, but if you're complaining about your business to your partner and you never share the wins with them, it's also going to be a problem. So even at the most enthusiastic partner who is happy for you that you're doing it, if all you do is complain about your business with the challenges and you never talk about the wins, which is sort of a default setting that we do. We, we unintentionally just talk about the crap 
right? And so you have to remind yourself to share some of the wins. And that's why we do the rosebud thorn, right? You share the celebrations first so you can celebrate these things together. So that's my pretty much advice, like basic broad brushstroke advice for, you know, if you're starting a business and you're, and you're with somebody who's not starting a business. I love that. And I think we kind of have to hop off. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I think that's a really great place to end it actually, because I think the rosebud thorn and just that general philosophy can lend itself to the rest of the relationship as well. Because I think when we're, you know, kind of in the everyday humdrum of a relationship and kids and work and everything, sometimes those wins and those roses just kind of get forgotten or they they don't get their due celebration. So I think that's really awesome. I want to stop there. I want to be respectful of the time and thank you so much for being on. It's been really amazing and enlightening. And I know that there are a ton of people out there who have really enjoyed and learned so much from you today. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I'm excited. I'm actually really excited to listen to this again. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Marla. If you like Love Then Money, do me a favor and tell a friend or five. I'm Azure Ashby. And until next time, I wish you both love and money. Take care. (laughs) 